0: What is the aim of the U.S.-backed Saudi offensive in Yemen? Does it really make a difference whether Hillary Clinton or her Republican rival managed to get elected President of the United States? Are concerns about Iran getting a nuclear weapon legitimate or merely a pretext for imperial domination of the region? How significant has mainstream media distortion of the conflict in Ukraine been? Are we standing on the verge of the greatest global military confrontation in history? On this week's Global Research News Hour, we discuss the current tensions gripping our world with an award-winning radio and print journalist and his perspective on how real change can be achieved. On today's program, World in Crisis, a conversation with Stephen Lendman. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of April 17, 2015. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, Global research.ca. We can also now be heard on the progressive radio network at prn.fm. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News Site. Tetanus vaccines given to millions of young women in Kenya have been confirmed by laboratories to contain a sterilization chemical that causes miscarriages, reports the Kenya Catholic Doctors' Association, a pro-vaccine organization. HCG is a chemical developed by the World Health Organization for sterilization purposes. When injected into the body of a young woman, it causes a pregnancy to be destroyed by the body's own antibody response to the HCG, resulting in a spontaneous abortion. According to Brian Klaus of Human Life International, the United Nations is not refuting the laboratory testing and confirmation of HCG in the vaccines. Instead, it claims some vaccines were contaminated in the manufacturing process. An absurd claim that no reasonable person would believe because HCG should never even be anywhere near a vaccine manufacturing operation unless someone put it there deliberately. As from the article, tetanus vaccine spiked with sterilization chemical in Kenya, posted April 16th, originally appearing at womansvibe.com. Amidst predictions of Rousseff's demise, the mainstream media has consistently downplayed and occasionally outright ignored one fact, the social backgrounds of the protesters. It is not the Brazilian people who are in the streets, but rather a very specific segment of the population whose economic interests are historically opposed to those of the majority. They are largely middle and upper class and, consequently, mainly white. In the 2014 elections, they sensed that their time had come to get rid of the PT, only to see their favorite candidate, former Minas Gerais PSDB governor, ACO Neves, lose in Brazil's closest ever presidential contest. Despite the very real and serious plot flaws of the current government, this discontent with the PT finds its true source in centuries of elite fear of popular mobilization and a deep resentment of the gains working-class people have made since Lula took office in 2003. That's from the article Who's Protesting in Brazil and Why? by Brian Pitt's Posted April 15th, originally peering at Nakhla. Over the past several years, as both Saudi Arabia and Israel have identified Iran and the so-called Shiite Crescent as their principal enemies, this once unthinkable alliance has become possible, and the Saudis, as they are wont to do, may have thrown lots of money into the deal. According to a source... Briefed by U.S. intelligence analysts, the Saudis have given Israel at least $16 billion over the past two and a half years, funneling the money through a third country Arab state and into an Israeli development account in Europe to help finance infrastructure inside Israel. The source first called the account a Netanyahu slush fund but later refined that characterization, saying the money was used for public projects, such as building settlements in the West Bank. In other words, according to this information, the Saudis concluded that if you can't beat the Israel lobby, try buying it. And if that is the case, the Saudis have found their behind-the-scenes collaboration with Israel extremely valuable. Netanyahu has played a key role in lining up U.S. Congress to fight an international agreement to resolve a long-running dispute over Iran's nuclear program. That comes from the article, Did Money Seal Israeli-Saudi Alliance? by Robert Perry, posted April 15th, originally peering at Consortium News. Now in the post-Cold War period, with the demise of the Union of the Soviet Socialist Republics and of the Eastern Bloc as a whole, Far from having dissolved itself, which would have been logical if its intent had been in any way or form of a defensive nature, it instead increased its membership by 12 new countries, by 75%. All 12 of those countries are in Eastern Europe. Several of them border Russia. And it has always been the express intent of NATO to move up to Russia's western and to large part of its southern borders and to contain Russia. So the fact that the Ukrainian crisis has been exploited as the pretense for an acceleration of plans long underway, years, decades underway, for NATO expansion to contain and besiege Russia. The NATO expansion in the Baltics, in the Black Sea, has nothing to do with the Ukrainian crisis except as a pretext. That comes from the article, Preparing for War with Russia, NATO War Games – Joint Warrior in Scotland, 13,000 troops, 54 warships, 70-plane submarines, selected articles from Stop NATO. By Rick Rosoff, posted April 16th, originally appearing at Stop NATO. The Union of Concerned Scientists, of which I am a member, need to come to their senses. It is impossible to work out a reduction in the nuclear threat as long as one side is going all out to demonize the other. The demonization of Russia and its leader by the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Fox News, and the rest of the American propaganda ministry by almost the entirety of the House and Senate, and by the White House, makes reducing the threat of nuclear war impossible. The American people and the entire world need to understand that the threat to life on Earth resides in Washington and that until Washington is fundamentally and totally changed, this threat will remain as the worst threat to life on Earth. Global warming can disappear instantly in nuclear winter. That comes from the article, Will Washington Kill Us All? by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, posted April 16th. Over the past year, we at Global Research have taken care to profile some of the major flashpoints on the global scene. The website and this radio program have made an effort to bring attention to the important stories either distorted or completely ignored by the mainstream media. Today, we're going to address a number of critical topics with a fellow radio host and producer, also a former host of this program. Boston-born Stephen Lendman is a graduate of Harvard University with an MBA from the Horton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Following a prosperous career as a market research analyst with the Lendman Group family business, he retired in 1999. He began writing on major world and national issues in the summer of 2005 and started his career as a radio host in 2007. He now hosts the Progressive Radio News Hour on the Progressive Radio Network. He's written several books, including How Wall Street Fleeces America, Privatized banking, government collusion, and class war, banker occupation, waging financial war on humanity, and has edited the recently published collection of essays for Clarity Press entitled Flashpoint in Ukraine How the U.S. Drive for Hegemony Risks World War III. Stephen Lendman is a 2008 Project Censored winner and 2011 Mexican Journalists Club International Journalism Award recipient. And uh, he is also the author of the Stephen Lendman blog, and, of course, a very frequent contributor to the Global Research website. It's my great pleasure to welcome back my colleague and friend, Stephen Lendman. Thank you for joining us, Stephen.
1: Michael, really, it's a joy to be with you.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's been a while. You've uh, you've written very extensively uh, on the the realm of uh, global affairs and on... uh, uh, politics, geopolitics. Um, I know that your career, I mean, based on your, your bio that's on your uh, blog site, it seems like you've uh, invested a, a large portion of your life uh, in the realm of market research. And uh, I'm just wondering how you, have you always had this, uh, been drawn to, to politics or have you, is it something you just discovered late in life?
1: oh i've always been interested in what 's going on in the world michael i grew up uh, i 'm eighty years old I grew up in, a, in in a in a world of no television uh during World War two and into the Caribbean. We never had a t v set in our home there wasn 't a t v set until i think my junior year in high school. And uh, we got along just fine without television. I think it was better in the old days with, with three channels compared to the hundreds we have today. With you, with, with all the hundreds I have in my building, on our on our cable service, which I have whether I want it or not. Uh, there's nothing to watch <laughs> <laughs> except for except for RT International. Uh, thankfully, that that's on. But I'm wondering how long it'll last, Michael, before they decide they don't want real news uh, uh, being uh, transmitted to Americans. So that m- m- maybe just take it off. i know time water blocked out a time time uh, uh, rt international it may be just a matter of time before comcast which is the service i get through my building before it blocks it out but you can still get it online
0: well i understand right now that uh, they're trying to paint uh, rt and the other russian news sources as, as putin propaganda and uh, I, I mean i'm even hearing that they're talking about trying to uh you know connect that with uh just as a kind of a terrorist organization <laughs>
1: Well they'll say anything uh, r t is legitimate news uh, it really i wish they, I wish they had more of it. They have a lot of uh, feature programs and uh, i I focus mostly on news. I want to know what's going on, and I'm most interested in just getting the facts and then I'll put them together myself uh, They give a thirty minute newscast and uh, I wish they had a full hour newscast There's so much going on in the world michael uh, uh it would be it would be wonderful. Maybe they'll change one day and decide they want to devote more time to real news. And again, people are starved from it. I think they have a very large audience in America and in other countries where they are. Because if you if you turn on what passes for news in America, Michael, it's the same thing in Canada. I'm sure uh, with Fox or CNN or the rest of them, you get nothing but but garbage, absolute garbage. I, I, I take a quick look at what they're doing every now and then, and uh, it's very hard to keep from gagging. <laughs> Anybody who knows anything about what's going on and tunes into what they're broadcasting or what you read in the New York Times or my Chicago Tribune, it really disgraces the meaning of news and information. It certainly is not that at all. But RT and uh, and uh, and Iranian Press TV, these are wonderful services that provide real news and information and analysis, and they're so valuable. And that's the reason they're attacked, Michael, as we know
0: yeah I was just wondering, I mean, just briefly uh do you can you recall when you had your eyes open about the extent to which we're lied to or or you know what where the 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 world news and information is being distorted by these mainstream outlets?
1: Oh, it goes back such a long way, I can't remember when I first had an awakening to it. Uh, it it's odd. A, a thought just passed through my mind. I think I was in high school at the time, and I was together with some friends, and I don't know exactly what we were talking about. But the subject of the New York Times came up, and I made the comment that I like to take a look at it every now and then. To keep up to date on world affairs, I probably was 16 or 17 years old at the time. And looking back at that comment, that's one I wish I could take back. <laughs> <laughs> Because you certainly don't know what's going on in the world by reading the New York Times.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I I know that, like, I probably, I mean, I I thought that, I guess, you know, sort of grew up seeing the the news as sort of like, well, yeah, they they have their their biases, but it's more or less correct. But I, I think... Where I was really stunned was when I watched a, a special NFB film uh, with uh, Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman, based on the Noam Chomsky Edward Herman book about called "Manufacturing Consent," in oh, which yes. I they they just laid it out like, you know, like comparisons between the coverage of the atrocities in East Timor and the atrocities in uh, in uh, uh, was it uh, a Ka- cat you know that other South Asian, Southeast Asian country Cambodia and because oh, the cambodian, cambodian that was yeah okay. the, basically this idea that if it's if the bad guys are uh on our side or like the people committing the atrocities aren't you in the u.s side we are going to ignore it or you otherwise find a different way of framing it whereas there's uh, a completely different approach if it's the uh the bad guys are, are rivals of the u.s and of course we're seeing that on display right now with uh, uh, you know, around the world, you know, Russia and, uh, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, this whole very intense display of double standards everywhere you look and how the propaganda seems to change. Um, Indeed,
1: Michael, when when U.S. forces go in or use proxies the way Obama is using proxies in Syria and Yemen. Uh, we call it humanitarian intervention. I don't know how you can call mass slaughtering uh, people and mass destruction and creating unbelievable or, or appalling levels of human misery. I don't know how you can, any, anybody can... A, a, the New York Times or, or the other media sources to, to claim this is humanitarian intervention. I don't know how anybody can say anything like that. I mean, if anybody pays any attention to what's going on in these countries, going back just in the post-9/11 era, Michael, Afghanistan and then Iraq and Libya and uh, Iraq War Three going on now, and uh, and in the fifth year of war in uh, in uh, Syria and Yemen, Obama's latest atrocity. I, I mean, I mean, there are millions of people who've been killed, Michael, either by war. By violence related to war or in the aftermath of war, by by deprivation, starvation, by preventative diseases. I mean, nobody knows the exact numbers, but I can remember after the after the Afghan war began, I remember writing about a potential famine breaking out in Afghanistan, and unknown numbers of Afghans could perish from this. Unknown numbers did. So when you think about the numbers that have died because of U.S. imperial policies, I mean, it literally gets into the Millions plus the numbers wounded, the numbers maimed for life, and, and the futures that have been lost for these people, and it's all so rich people and powerful people can, can can become more powerful, Michael, and become richer. I mean, how much power do you need? How much? How many? How much riches do you need? How many dead bodies is it worth to commit these kinds of high crimes? And, and it passes through the U.S. media like uh, uh, this, is, this, 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 this is this is this is democracy whatever they want to call it. Hmm. Um,
0: I feel compelled to bring up the name Hillary Clinton because it's been fairly prominent in the news uh, lately. I mean, she's running for president, and it, it seems like a lot of uh, progressive-minded people uh, with varying degrees of reluctance will feel drawn to her, not because they think they're the epitome of of what's best for America, but because, well... At least she's better than that other guy, whether it's Jeb Bush or Rand Paul or whoever. Um, you know, yeah. And she's even running. I think her motto, <laughs> the the motto she's running on, is "Champion for Everyday Americans." Yeah. So I, I guess yeah. I'm, I would just, just like to get you as somebody who's sort of in the the heart of that political wilderness. What he, what's your take on the whole lesser of two governing evils? Uh, mentality.
1: I I don't see a lesser in in Hillary, Michael. She's as hardcore a neocon as the most overt neocons in Washington. I talk about the Obama administration being infested with neocons, lunatics, people making policy in government. And of course, uh, Clinton, uh, aside from being the first lady at one time, was a a U.S. senator from New York, was Obama's Secretary of State, uh, ran against Obama in the 2008 campaign and lost now she's running again. Uh, I wrote an article I titled The Clinton Crime Family. Uh, indeed, I mean, she and her husband, as bad, as bad as the Bush crime family, as bad as the rest of them. So whether it's Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton or Marco Rubio or uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I, Rand Paul, I think, is declared. I don't know if anybody else is declared. The policies will stay the same, Michael. If we're, if, if we're going to have the same policies, Michael, I just as soon have a hardcore a neocon that people can hate, like George Bush, rather than a phony one like Obama, who can can smooth things over with with smooth rhetoric and get half the population to believe they're really good guys when they're really bad guys. I'd rather have a bad guy that everybody hates in power.
0: I I see your point completely because, you know, I think especially somebody who's been involved in the anti-war movement, I'm looking at like, what happened to the anti-war movement? I mean, they elected Obama, and suddenly, you know, we're not—we don't seem to see the intense uh, uh, display. Of course, I mean, maybe the media has something to do with that, but we're not seeing the same intense displays of uh, opposition to the state apparatus under Obama that we saw with Bush. At least, that's my impression. Uh, wh- what do you think about that? Like having this sort oh, of—you
1: know—absolutely. Absolutely, but Bush's, Bush's rating was rock bottom at one time. I forget the load that he hit, but it was way, way down. I think the lowest presidential approval rating ever was Harry Truman during the depths of the Korean War, Harry Truman of all people, uh, of course the Korean War was just terrible, and there was a draft back then. but Bush got pretty close, I think, to Harry Truman in a low approval rating, and Obama hovers around forty percent I mean I can't imagine why more than twenty percent of the public uh, supports. Uh, Obama, and the 20% would be the ones that that benefit from the horrors that he's responsible for at home and abroad. But his policies, I think, are worse than Bush's. He's fighting more wars. He operates under a police state apparatus, hardened, the one that Bush established, and Obama hardened it, including his kill list. You could go over so many things. He's pushing like crazy to get fast-track legislation passed so he can get uh, this this trans Pacific partnership, a trade bill through, and and the comparable. A transatlantic one that will be a, both of them would be freedom destroying trade bills uh, and environmental destroying trade bills and he, he's pushing these things like crazy telling one lie after another about them and opponents of these bills call them NAFTA on steroids this is what I just wrote about in, in an article that I sent uh, to uh, Michelle this morning and, uh, and uh, if we get Hillary It'll be another Obama in office, Michael. Again, I, I, I would, I would, I would, I would rather really have it. A... <laughs> Have a mean and nasty S O B that everybody hates, like Netanyahu in Israel. I was glad that Netanyahu won because so many people hate him. People don't realize he he he, his party only got about twenty five percent of the vote, so seventy five percent of Israelis did not vote for him or or wanted him around. So they hate him. It just makes it easier for people and for people around the world to despise Israeli policy. If we get if we get if we get a hardcore Republican in office, it'll make people. People around the world more against U.S. policy, Michael, and that's the only way we can get it to change. If enough people get angry enough and decide they're not going to take it anymore and they're going to do something about it, that's how change can come. When people talk about voting, Michael, I say it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time voting. You got column A and you got column B, and it's the same column. You get you, you get the bums in one column or the bums in the other po- column, and, and and the policies always stay the same in fact democrats often are worse than republicans
0: mm-hmm. yeah and uh I, I think i've heard the the, the difference <laughs> the comparisons between the the democrats and the republicans i mean there's one uh you know from mike rupert to the late mike rupert saying that it's basically uh, organized crime you call the republicans the genoveses and the democrats the gambinos and of course, uh, you know the fact that it seems to be like the the Bushes versus the Clintons. Uh, you, you do get that sense of them actually being crime families. I'm sure you wouldn't uh, necessarily disagree with the idea that that's a a fairly apt description.
1: Absolutely, but of course the whole system in America of governance is a criminal system, Michael. And literally, I, I don't think it matters. Who gets elected? The policies will pretty much stay the same. The power structure that runs America and Canada and other Western countries are really the same. And whether Party A or Party B gets into power, nothing much seems to change. My God, go back to the 1930s. Roosevelt forced the Japanese to attack America at Pearl Harbor, literally forced them to do it, to give him the war that he wanted. Back in 1917 or 1916, Woodrow Wilson, the peace candidate, made, made pacifist Americans uh, German haters. He promised he would keep America out of the war. And the propaganda campaign, for the first time in U.S. history, was created to turn pacifist Americans into German haters to give Woodrow Wilson the war he wanted. So whether it's Democrat Wilson or Roosevelt, or Republican George Bush uh, Jr. or Sr., or anybody else, the policies stayed the same. And America hasn't known a day of peace, Michael, in my entire lifetime. I haven't seen one day of peace, U.S. direct or proxy wars, and whoever replaces Obama in 2017, the beat will go on, the horror policies will continue, the the endless wars will go on, U.S. people at home will be greatly exploited, social justice in America is disappearing in plain sight, and probably before I depart this early it'll be entirely gone but the wars will continue
0: hmm. so the the actual government of the united states would be wall street the texas oil giants and the military contractors
1: Oh, absolutely. They're all in this together. I I lumped them all together and called them the moneyed interests. These are the people who run America. And again, I think Mickey Mouse could sit in the the Oval Office, and the policies would be the same. Or an electronic image, Michael. It just literally doesn't matter. Obama came right out of room service. He he was the first black president, a guy, smooth-talking guy. He can can read his lines well, like Reagan, a former actor, uh, and, and, and say the things that the establishment wants. Said, but in in the back rooms the dirty deals get done and the corporations get served and the wars get ra- waged and they get they get waged because it's so profitable to wage them. Michael, and if we didn't have these wars, think of all the money that wouldn't be made. So these are the reasons these things go on. But you have to convince the public, so you scare the dickens out of them to think that there's a bad guy here and a bad guy there. And the only bad guys are the ones I know in Washington and in London. And- in Paris and in Berlin and in, and in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, These, this is where the bad guys
0: are. Well, although there is a, a sentiment out there of uh, uh, they, they may disapprove of Obama, but they, they don't necessarily see him as an instigator. I think, think there's a sort of a sympathetic feeling, like, well, he 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 meant well, but he got in there. He thought he could stand up to the neocons, but he can't. You know, he's just not standing up to the neocons. I what I mean I think like Robert Perry for example who I believe both of us have interviewed have seemed to be coming at it's the neocons that are driving this and and Obama just isn't standing up to them what what do you say to that I mean to what extent is Obama himself an instigator versus somebody who's just uh, capitulating to those uh, bad guys on the right?
1: Well, I call Obama a neocon masquerading as a populist. I know somebody who knew him back. I think I think he, I think was in college. I don't think he went to Harvard. Yeah, he went to Harvard Law School. I think Columbia. I think it was at Columbia, and and uh, he said that, that that there was just something wrong with this guy there. Uh, he he would he would, he he would act in some ways the same way as he acts now, where he will say one thing and do something entirely different. And this fellow said back then uh, he just was a guy that gave you the feeling you can't trust him. No, I didn't know him back then, uh, so there's nothing much I can say about it, but literally throughout his tenure, he'll say one thing and he will do something entirely different. No, I think he's part of the system, I think he was well vetted before he was chosen to be the nominee, and I think the only reason he was is because he's part of the system right down the line, uh, a guy you can rely on, and he certainly has been a guy that, uh, that uh, the system could rely on. So I don't think he's a progressive or populist in any way at all. I don't I don't think he has a single bone in his body of that content. I think he's a neocon, except he masquerades with the smooth-talking language, and Hillary Clinton is exactly the same thing.
0: You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on the Progressive Radio Network at PRN.FM. We are also podcast on the website, globalresearch.ca. Well, um... I think that maybe we we should start looking at uh, some of the the ways in which these uh the US uh, money system uh, policies are expressing themselves on the world stage. Um I I know that, that you just mentioned Yemen's very much a top of mind for you. Um we, well the the official story is that you have uh, the sectarian violence uh, sh- uh, basically the the Shia oriented Houthis that uh, have been uh you know taking over uh, much of of Yemen and the the former uh leader Hadi the the, pre- the former president has been sort of the the legitimate president in the words of the uh, the international community and so here you have the Saudi offensive that's uh being supported by the US and uh, a bunch of other uh Arab nations, uh, all in the name of restoring the uh, the democratically the, the legitimate uh, Hadi back to uh, to power. Um, how how do you break that down? What do you see is really going on? Uh, the pro- propaganda side.
1: Well, number one, there's nothing legitimate about Hadi. He was appointed. He wasn't elected. They staged an election, uh, Michael. Uh, the U.S. Uh, staged an election, and the only candidate was Hadi. Ha, 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 Mm -hmm. I call that a coronation, not an election. So he's illegitimate uh, by any standard. Uh, The importance of Yemen isn't because of its resources. It has a little oil, not very much, uh, maybe 4 billion barrels of oil. The importance of Yemen is its strategic location. The waterways around Yemen are, are, are 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 the transit routes of about 4 million barrels of oil a day, and that's why Yemen is so important to Washington. You want to keep these waterways open to be sure that, all this oil flows freely. Uh, the uh, Gulf of Aden, uh, the uh, the uh, Red Sea, uh, uh, the straits uh, that uh, that uh, uh, that lead to the Indian Ocean, and, uh, and the Mediterranean Sea on the other side. So very important waterways, and that's what the importance of Yemen is all about. Uh, 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 the uh, the uh, The government <laughs> we, we had the previous government run by uh, Abdullah Saleh, who was in power for. I don't know, 25 or 30 years, and then he was he was ousted, and Hadi took his place with, with the coronation, and the conflict has been going on for a number of years, and finally uh, Hadi was ousted, and he, he, uh, he stayed in uh, Yemen for a while, uh, first in Sanaa, the capital, then uh, was put under house arrest. Somehow he managed to, to get out of house arrest. I don't know how he managed to do that, but he went to the southern port city of Aden, and then when the conflict spread to that area, the Saudis rescued him and took him to Riyadh, so that's where he is right now. And the story goes that he asked the Saudis to intervene on his behalf to restore his legitimate rule. Well, uh, the Yemen war, Michael, you can be sure was planned years ago in Washington. You don't just start a war and start bombing targets. Uh, the Afghan war began something like four or five weeks after 9/11. Well, that war was planned months in advance. You need to plan targets. You need to know exactly what you're doing. Planning a war is complicated stuff. You don't just you don't just launch it in a matter of days or weeks. So I'm convinced that Washington planned. This war months ago uh, lining up Saudi Arabia and the other Gulf states and Egypt, and maybe a few other Morocco was involved uh, a couple of other countries were involved, and they're terror bombing Ukraine. one of the most startling statistics that I saw in the articles I wrote where the the, the, the uh, world Food program I think put out put out the statistic that half of the Yemeni population of about twenty five million people is going hungry, Michael. That means there could be a famine, there could be starvation. Conceivably, if this thing goes on long enough and aid, food, water, medical care doesn't get in in enough amounts, uh, we will see genocide in real time. We could see millions of people dying. You'll never know about it because when people die of starvation or diseases that are easily prevented you don't hear any reports about that they just perish and they're gone but literally if this thing goes on long enough we could see millions of Yemenis alone die
0: i know that there are a lot of journalists uh, in Yemen who are they, they they don't have power and so they're all they've got left is the the, the dying batteries in their cell phones and uh, it's uh, and you can see little tweets to that effect on on Twitter, and so it's 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 quite concerning. Um, what what's your uh, take on the Houthis, though? I mean, because we keep hearing about how they're you know in cahoots with Iran. I mean, to what extent is there is there any truth to that?
1: I think. I think Iran supports them as an ally the way Iran supports Syria as an ally, the way Iran supports the Iraqi government as an ally. But there's no indication that Iran is actively involved in helping the Houthis uh, the, or the Syrians by, 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 by super active involvement in the wars. Certainly they, 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 they support their allies the way any country supports uh, their allies. Uh, there's no indication that Iran has, has sent the volumes of weapons into Yemen. Uh, I mean, look what America does, Michael. Uh, Saudi Arabia, because we, we, uh, America doesn't need to give Saudi Arabia weapons. Saudi Arabia can buy as as, as, as many weapons as they want. And I think uh, certainly in, in, in the Middle East, they're the biggest buyers of weapons. I think they're probably America's biggest buyers of weapons. I forget if I saw that mentioned somewhere, but billions and billions of dollars of sophisticated weapons that Saudi Arabia is getting from America. uh, spending their own money. If they didn't have their money, then America would support them, and other countries uh, are getting weapons from America. So America can pour weapons into the region, as as many as possible, all kinds of horrific weapons of mass destruction, short of nuclear weapons, uh, maybe even chemical and biological weapons, although these countries can make their own very easily. But if Iran wants to provide any kind of support to their allies, this is accusing Iran of getting involved in the wars and Committing aggression and so on. It's it's a horrific double standard that holds no water at all. But the U.S. propaganda machine says it all the time. Uh, Iran has every right to support its allies, but most important, and I've said this a number of times, of all the countries in the Middle East, none support peace and stability more than Iran does. And Iran itself has not attacked another country in centuries. It wants peace and stability. It deplores war. It wants the ongoing wars ended, and it strives very hard to try to reach that objective. But you never hear that said about Iran.
0: What we do hear about Iran is that uh, they are um, – are very they they're potentially dangerous because they're developing a nuclear weapons program i saw rt uh, uh i believe it was just on the weekend and they had this fellow daniel pipes on talking to oksana boyko mm-hmm. and he was talking about how the iranians uh they they have this apocalyptic vision and so therefore it's very concerning if they have nuclear weapons although it seems to me that uh, you know he could probably say similar things about Israel, or for that matter, the United States. Israel, both those countries are armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons. And, you know, you see polls with a large number of people thinking that, you know, we're living in the end times. And, uh, you know, there's strong belief in the, the literal interpretation of the Book of Revelations and so on. Who is it that has the apocalyptic vision? I mean, um <laughs> what this whole idea of, of framing Iran as as dangerous, and I, I think the facts demonstrate that uh, Israel has violated far more UN Security Council resolutions than Iran has waged war against its neighbors and uh, has been very vi- continues to be violent in violation of international law. So, you know, how, yeah, they were getting back to these this whole question of double standards. Uh, how 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 can we? I mean, is this uh, – yet yet somehow that, that myth or that legend of, of Iran, the, the belligerent uh, uh, and, and unstable player in the, the, the Middle East and the region seems to prevail. I mean, how, how do we get past that, uh, <laughs> that messaging?
1: Well, one of my favorite expressions uh, is to say, uh, the whole world knows that America and Israel are nuclear-armed and dangerous, Michael. And the whole world knows that Iran's nuclear program is peaceful. It has no military component. And I don't say that. U.S. intelligence says that every year, CIA and the rest of them, uh, America has something like 16 intelligence agencies. Why it needs 16, I don't know. But they all come up with an annual assessment of world threats, and in that assessment, they they, they say every year uh, Iran's uh, uh, nuclear program is peaceful. Uh, they may add a tagline to the effect that we don't know that they're, they're not, uh, that not at some point they may not try to develop nuclear weapons but there's no evidence to indicate they're doing it. And Israel's own Mossad says uh, Iran's nuclear program is peaceful. So it says one thing and Netanyahu says something entirely different. Of course Mossad is, is reporting accurately on Iran and Assad and, uh, and uh, Netanyahu is uh, lying through his teeth, just the way uh, the U.S. neocons lie through their teeth. Iran's program is peaceful and I do believe that they, they do not want nuclear weapons. They've been so strident in, in their opposition to them. They want a re- They want a region free from nuclear weapons. They want a world free from nuclear weapons and i really believe they're truthful when they say that and i think any 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 sensible person would want the same kind of world because with these weapons around sooner or later they're going to be used more than the way they were in nineteen forty five when only one country had them and they didn't need to be used then because the war was over but the generals wanted to use their toys in real time and send a message to soviet russia that it already knew it didn't need a message it already knew all about america's nuclear weapons program But now a number of countries have nuclear weapons. Maybe even a few have them, Michael, we don't know about. North Korea, I would imagine, has them, and half a dozen or more others have them. But it could be a few more have them that we haven't heard about. But if there's another war that that, that gets to be something more serious than anything going on now, we could see these weapons used, and if enough of them are used, we could end up with what's called nuclear winner. And if that happens, Michael, it's curtains. It's all over.
0: Okay. Now, moving uh, across the ocean to Latin America, there's uh, been some rather uh, interesting developments, Uh, the normalizing of relations with Cuba or what appears to be the normalization of relations with Cuba. The Cuban Five finally got released. All, All five of them are out now and at the same time uh, the obama has declared venezuela um, nicola maduro's venezuela a threat to us national security what do you make of that
1: shocking talk about it talk about double standard hypocrisy michael on the one hand uh, obama is making nice with cuba uh, I'll say more about that in a second. And on the other hand, he's uh, demonizing uh, Nicolas Maduro in uh, Venezuela, calling uh, Venezuela a threat to U.S. security, imposing sanctions for the second time on Venezuelan officials. And uh, there was something close to 11 million signatures collected in Venezuela opposing what Obama did and demanding these things uh, be ended right away. Uh, I don't think Obama's intentions with Cuba uh, are on the up and up, to say the least. Uh, what what, what uh, uh, US, U.S. imperial policy is, is is very long-standing and very unbending uh, Michael it wants all independent governments uh, toppled it wants uh, pro-western ones America controls replacing them and anything America may do with Cuba going forward will be to let US corporations come in and rape the country uh, a, a profit at the expense of Cuban people and eventually the policy of, of, uh, of ending Cuba's independent government will not change America wants a puppet regime regime in Cuba the way it existed back in 1959 before the Cuban Revolution, and the same thing in Venezuela, and the same thing in all the other independent countries, some more independent than others, and the big two, Michael, would be Russia and China. Uh, That's when it really gets down to the brass tacks, when we could end up with a nuclear war. That's what the danger would be there, and I really believe that the possibility is real. I don't know that it will happen, but I think the possibility is real, either by intent or judgment era. It really scares the daylights out of me. And throughout the whole Cold War, Michael, I never was scared except when I was a little kid and didn't understand what was going on. And we would have drills in school when I was in the third or fourth grade. They they would evacuate us to the schoolyard for our safety in case of a nuclear attack, Michael. Uh, Not real. What what on earth safety could you get in the schoolyard? I think there were other drills where we would duck under our desk with a nuclear war. But uh, I didn't understand what was going on then. But when I was old enough to understand, I wasn't scared. But I am scared now. With America's evil intent against all of these independent countries, we could end up with with a horrific war that would be the literally the war to end all wars.
0: Just wondering if you can drill down on that a little bit, because as you've pointed out, the U.S. has always been at war your entire life. You know what is it that you're seeing now? That you know, is, is just the, the the overall number of of flashpoints around the globe, or is there a a specific flashpoint that uh, that has you concerned?
1: Well Ukraine has me concerned the most because it's it's in central Europe, it's a very big country. Uh it has a fifteen hundred kilometer land and sea border with Russia uh... washington is just itching to get ukraine into nato despite comments to the contrary and the idea would be for america to establish a u.s bases right on russia's borders i mean they've got bases that are practically on russia's borders right now can you imagine if russia had had its bases in canada and uh, in mexico And its ships, uh, warships patrolling Atlantic, Pacific waters, nuclear armed, and submarines in the Gulf of Mexico, nuclear armed. Can you imagine how long that would last before America would be at war with Russia? But America wants its bases with uh, with uh, with 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 long-range uh, multiple uh, and long-range missiles with multiple nuclear warheads targeting Russia's heartland. I mean, Russia has every reason to be extremely angry about this, and literally, we could see an accident or something happen where we could have a confrontation between Russia and America that could end up with a nuclear war. But these are the things going on right now, and I think of all the flashpoints around the world. World. Ukraine is the most serious. And of course, there, there was a democratic government in Ukraine. There wasn't a particularly good one, the Yanukovych government, but it was overthrown by Washington. Uh, uh, the undersecretary for European and uh, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Eastern European affairs, Victoria Nuland, admitted publicly that America spent over $5 billion over 20 years to oust the Ukrainian government to get a puppet state in, in power that Washington-controlled it took two attempts. They got rid of Yanukovych once with the Orange Revolution in 2004, then did it again last year, and installed Nazis. To take his place, these fascists that are waging naked aggression on the people in the southeast of the country, the Donbass region, and the only thing they want is democratic governments. They 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 don't want to be rebels. They simply want democratic governance. But of course, fascists don't allow anything like that, and Washington doesn't allow anything like that. So the war raged last year. We had we had three peace agreements: one Geneva, two in Minsk. They've never been adhered to by. there are U.S. troops, close to a 1,000 of them. Uh, 300 paratroopers just arrived in Ukraine. In total, there's about 900 U.S. combat troops in Ukraine. An article I wrote this morning, uh, sent to Global Research, that uh, they are readying Ukraine to escalate full-scale conflict again. They're, they're going to rev it up. They're going to get the war going full-scale. Uh, they're going to blame Russia for Russian aggression that doesn't exist. And, uh, and, and we're going to see many more people die. Many more people suffer horrendously. Uh, A brief article I wrote yesterday... Sputnik News had had a capsule report on the destruction in the Donbass area. Oh, it was startling. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but the num- but, but the numbers of civilian structures, including hospitals and schools and infrastructure and the rest of it, that have been destroyed. They had a figure of, uh, they had a, f- a figure in it that I know was wrong uh, of the amount of damage done just in the Donetsk region. Uh, alone. They said one point five billion Hivernias, uh, the the uh Ukrainian currency. I forget how many how many hibernias there are to a dollar, maybe ten or twenty or something like that. I mean, billions of dollars of damage have been done. I don't know where they came up with that figure. I first put it in my article, then I deleted it because I knew it was a wrong figure. And 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 they covered they covered Donetsk and they covered Lugansk with all of the buildings and structure and infrastructure and schools and hospitals and colleges and the rest of it that have either been damaged or destroyed. It could be ten tens of billions of dollars it would take to replace all this, plus all the people who've been killed, and I think the numbers of killed and wounded are, are way low balled I, I think maybe ten possibly tens of thousands if, if you get into the total numbers of killed and, and wounded michael, I think we're talking about something maybe close to a hundred thousand people if they rev this war up again we 'll see these numbers double there'll be a much more intensive Kiev attack on these regions we'll see we 'll see the freedom fighters in, in in Donbass, fight back valiantly, they battered the Korean forces the first time, I think they'll do it again, but think of, think of the harm that will happen to civilians, because civilians have been deliberately targeted by Kiev forces in, the, in this wars. and we could, see, we could see genocide the way it's being uh, committed in Syria, and Yemen, and Afghanistan, and Libya, just another o- Obama crime, Michael, to be handed off to whoever replaces him in 2017.
0: Hmm. Now, uh, just on that point, because uh, you recently put together a book uh, called "Flashpoint in Ukraine: How the U.S. Drive for Hegemony Risks World War Three. You you edited it. There's contributions from, you know, Michael Hudson, Edward S. Herman, uh, Michelle Chosadovsky, Mickey Huff, uh, and Mahdi Darius Nazimroya. Uh, I'm wondering if if you might want to take a, like a, a couple of minutes to to kind of just describe that project and and maybe a couple of the highlights uh, for our listeners.
1: Well, I remember how it began, Michael, and I'll do it very, very quickly. Uh, I I was writing, uh, intensively, uh, articles on Ukraine uh, when the conflict broke out uh, about a year ago. And uh, I mentioned to my editor at Clarity Press, Diana collier whether Clarity was uh, thinking about uh, putting together a book on Ukraine, or or, or interested in publishing a book on Ukraine. And uh, maybe, maybe they had discussed it. I I know they have uh, a committee that discusses the the books that they want to publish. But she jumped on the idea right away and said, uh, "Oh yeah, would you would you be interested in editing a book on Ukraine and put it put it together with with other contributors?" And uh, and uh, I said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to do." that. And this was around last March, I believe. And we got that book put together in about two months in record time. We finished it at the end of April, got it out in early May. And right at the end uh, uh, was the Odessa Massacre in the, in the early May, when uh, the, the, the true story of the Odessa Massacre was much different than what was what was published uh, publicly, where hundreds of people were massacred by, by these crazies, uh, the right sector people, the Nazis, that came in there. And uh, Diana asked me if I If I could add a quick chapter at the end uh, discussing the Odessa Massacre. So after we close the books... On Ukraine, and she was, in, and, she, and they were in the process of typesetting. She just held it up, and, and in a day I got her a, a quick chapter on Odessa so she could add it, and that was added to it. But in about two months' time, Michael, we put that book together with wonderful contributors like Michelle Chosadovsky and all the others that you mentioned. Just wonderful people that made the book, I think, very, very special. I felt very honored to be a contributor along with these giants a pygmy like myself with these giants, Michael, to put out this book. I'm disappointed that it wasn't published in Russia. It was published in France. Uh, I was disappointed it wasn't published in China and published in Russia, but I think Diana is still working on it. Maybe even this late in the game, she can get another country interested in publishing it.
0: Mm, Yeah, well, I'm afraid I haven't read it yet, but it it really looks interesting, um, like all the high... Power uh, writers in there, um, including yourself, um, I'm just kind of uh, wanting to uh, I guess one other topic that's uh, speaking of books that you've written, I know that you've written a lot on uh, the, the the banking system and the financial system, and, and of course, we touched on this earlier. Um, you, do, do, like what, what direction is it conceivable? that our uh, economic that the US economic system can change in such a way as to eliminate the power of these uh, oligarchs <laughs> that are in place uh, i mean and how would that come about
1: I don't see any way to change the system through the ballot box, Michael. I think it's a waste of time to even think about it. General strikes? I deplore violence, and I certainly hope that we won't see a violent revolution. But the only way to change things in America or any place else is through the grassroots. And, uh, America had its own revolution back in the, in, in the, in the 17th century. It certainly didn't accomplish anything. Uh, everything changed but stayed the same, but, but stayed the same. But there have, but there have been changes in America over time because ordinary people simply wouldn't wouldn't tolerate the status quo. Unfortunately, the changes didn't last, but we, we, we got labor rights and we got civil rights. We have marvelous things that happen, but the energy wanes over time, Michael, and then the old system comes back into force, but the only way to change the system, which I think is vital if humanity is going to survive, is we need to get rid of this predatory capitalist system. I have nothing against local capitalism, which is what I was engaged in, small family business, uh, not intending to harm anybody, just wanting to make an honest dollar and provide a provide a service uh, by doing it helping people helping ourselves by helping other people I, there's nothing wrong with that as far as i'm concerned but the oligarchs or the monopolists, the predators that make money by causing so much harm and getting governments to wage wars for them this is the system that has to end because if it doesn't we'll end up destroying humanity and the only way it can possibly happen i mean i have i have no set of rules to hand off to people that say we have to do a b c and d to accomplish what we need to do. It's nothing simple, but there has to be somebody a lot smarter than I am, great leadership that somehow can initiate a nonviolent revolution to get rid of this predatory, destructive system we have and replace it with something that sustains life instead of destroys it. If we don't do that, Michael, I think the history of the human race will not be written in conclusion because it will destroy itself and the human species will end up probably the only one to ever destroy itself i don't think there's there's been another species uh, and there are so many of them that has ever destroyed itself. I think humanity has destroyed many thousands of species, but I don't think any of them ever destroyed itself. The human species may end up the only one to ever self destruct if it doesn't find a way to end this awful system we're living with that just makes things continually worse as the years go by.
0: Okay, um, that's uh, very
1: very Not honest a pleasant answer. way to end the conversation
0: no but an honest one and that's a, a beginning um, but of course uh, we we still have uh maybe just a, a final point is this the the power of independent media to, uh, to 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 disrupt the the propaganda apparatus that prevents us from seeing these realities i mean is that are you hopeful that that uh, that, that there's any promise there
1: I'm very hopeful, Michael, and at the same time, if the in- independent media get too strong, where everybody tunes out what they should tune out and tunes into where they should get information, whether they read it or listen to it or watch it online, if that gets too powerful, you know what the big boys will do. They'll just shut us down. They'll put us out of business, and that's what I fear may happen. I think it may be in the process to some extent happening now, but we've got to give it a try. We've got to tune out the voices of propaganda and go to the real sources of information information, and most important, Michael, act on it, not because it's the right thing to do, because if we want to survive, it's the only thing we can do. Well,
0: I think we're going to have to leave it there and uh, go each go our separate ways for the time being, but I I want to thank you very much, Stephen Lundman, for appearing on the show. I've, I've really appreciated this conversation.
1: Michael, thank you so much.
0: We've been speaking with uh, Stephen Lendman. He is the host of the Progressive Radio Hour on the Progressive Radio Network and is the author of How Wall Street Fleeces America, Privatized Banking, Government Collusion and Class War and uh, the editor of the uh, recently published Flashpoint in Ukraine, How the U.S. Drive for Hegemony Risks World War III. The Global Research News Hour welcomes our newest affiliate. The show will air every Sunday from 7 to 8 a.m. on community radio station CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, BC. Our show will begin airing April 19th. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our programs every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partnering radio stations across the country. We are broadcast on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. You can also download each episode from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I am series host and producer Michael Welch. Join us again next week.